That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Mr. Castor unerringly echoes his client, ex-President Trump, who declared after the insurrection that his conduct in the affair was totally appropriate. And therefore, we can only assume he could do and would do the exact same thing again. Because this he said his conduct was Tom totally Hartman appropriate. Program. So now the fact Congressman Jamie Raskin begins just moments ago, uh, begins the, the presentation of the actual impeachment trial now by the of Donald Trump. Yesterday they voted it was constitutional. Today, today they make the their presentation. Voted. Here is Congressman Raskin. And so the Senate is now properly exercising its jurisdiction and sitting as a court of impeachment conducting a trial on the facts. We are having a trial on the facts. The House says ex-president Donald Trump incited a violent insurrection against Congress and the Constitution and the people. The president's lawyers and the president say his conduct was totally appropriate and he's essentially an innocent victim of circumstances like the other innocent victims that we'll see getting caught up in all of the violence and chaos over the next several days. The evidence will be for you to see and hear and digest. The evidence will show you that ex-President Trump was no innocent bystander. The evidence will show that he clearly incited the January 6th insurrection. It will show that Donald Trump surrendered his role as Commander-in-Chief and became the inciter-in-chief of a dangerous insurrection. And this was, as one of our colleagues put it so cogently on January 6th itself, the greatest betrayal of the presidential oath in the history of the United States. The evidence will show you that he saw it coming and was not remotely surprised by the violence. And when the violence inexorably and inevitably came as predicted and overran this body, in the House of Representatives with chaos, we will show you that he completely abdicated his duty as commander-in-chief to stop the violence and protect the government and protect our officers and protect our people. He violated his oath of office to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, the government, and the people of the United States. The evidence will show you that he assembled, inflamed, and incited his followers to descend upon the Capitol to stop the steal to block Vice President Pence and Congress from finalizing his opponent's election victory over him. We will show 
that he had been warned that these followers were prepared for a violent attack targeting us at the Capitol through media reports, law enforcement reports, and even arrests. In short, we will prove that the impeached president was no innocent bystander whose conduct was totally appropriate and should be a standard for future presidents, but that he incited this attack and he saw it coming. To us, it may have felt like chaos and madness, but there was method in the madness that day. This was an organized attack on the counting of the electoral college votes in joint session of the United States Congress under the 12th Amendment and under the Electoral Count Act to prevent Vice President Mike Pence and to prevent us from, from counting sufficient electoral college votes to certify Joe Biden's victory of 306 to 232 in the Electoral College. A margin that President Trump had declared a landslide uh, in 2016. When my colleague Mr. Neguse speaks after me, he will set forth in detail the exact roadmap of all the evidence in the case. My fellow House managers and I will then take you through that evidence step by step so everyone can see exactly how these events unfolded. But I want to tell you a few key reasons right now that we know this case is not about blaming an innocent bystander for the horrific violence and harm that took place on January 6th. This is about holding accountable the person singularly responsible for inciting the attack. Let's start with December 12th. You will see during this trial a man who praised and encouraged and cultivated violence. We have just begun to fight, he says, more than a month after the election has taken place. And that's before the second million mega march, a rally that ended in serious violence and even the burning of a church. And as the president forecast, it was only the beginning. On December 19th, 18 days before January 6th, he told his base about where the battle would be, that they would fight next. January 6th would be wild, he promised. Be there, will be wild, said the President of the United States of America. And that, too, turned out to be true. You'll see in the days that followed, Donald Trump continued to aggressively promote January 6th to his followers. The event was scheduled at the, at the precise time that Congress would be meeting in joint session to count the Electoral College votes and to finalize the 2020 presidential election. In fact, in the days leading up to the attack, you'll learn that there were countless social media posts, news stories, and most importantly, credible reports from the FBI and Capitol Police that the thousands gathering for the president's Save America march were violent, organized with weapons, and were targeting the Capitol. This mob got organized so openly because, as they would later scream in these halls, and as they posted on forums before the attack, they were sent here by the president. They were invited here by the president of the United States of America. And when they showed up, knowing of these reports that the crowd was angry and it was armed, here's what Donald Trump told them. President Trump whipped the crowd into a frenzy, exhorting followers, if you don't 
fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And then he aims straight at the Capitol, declaring, you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. He told them to fight like hell and they brought us hell on that day. Incited by President Trump, his mob attacked the Capitol. This assault unfolded live on television before a horrified nation. According to those around him at the time, this is how President Trump reportedly responded to the attack that we saw him incite in public. Delight, enthusiasm, confusion as to why others around him weren't as happy as he was. Trump incited the January 6th attack, and when his mob overran and occupied the Senate and attacked the House and assaulted law enforcement, he watched it on TV like a reality show. He reveled in it, and he did nothing to help us as commander-in-chief. Instead, he served as the inciter-in-chief, sending tweets that only further incited the rampaging mob. He made statements lauding and sympathizing with the insurrectionists. Over at 4.17 p.m., over three hours after the beginning of the siege, for the very first time he spoke out loud, not on Twitter, spoke out loud to the American people. Here's what he said. I know your pain, I know you're hurt. So you might be saying, all right, the president is going to console us now. He's going to reassure America. He knows our pain. He knows we're hurt. We've just seen these horrific images of officers being impaled and smashed over the head. Um, we've just been under attack for three hours. But here's what he actually goes on to say. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. So you think he's about to decry the mayhem and violence, the unprecedented spectacle of this mob attack on the U.S. Capitol, but he's still promoting the big lie that was responsible for inflaming and inciting this the mob in the first place. Tom Hartman program. This is Congressman Jamie if Raskin, the lead impeachment manager day, in the trial of Donald Trump in the United us. States Senate. We'll continue. Us. It was to praise and sympathize and commiserate with the rampaging mob. It was to continue to act as inciter-in-chief, not commander-in-chief, by telling the mob that their election had been stolen from them. You're listening to Tom Hartman. What an extraordinary day. If you have thoughts on this or you want to weigh in on it, we'll be set up to take your calls here in just a moment. I think the essence of this, I mean, you know, obviously they're building a very strong case that Donald Trump set this up, that Donald Trump put it into motion, that Donald Trump brought the crowd to Washington, D.C., that Donald Trump prepared the ground by convincing people. We had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. If you were told by President Obama, for example, that Hillary Clinton's election, which followed his, had been stolen, or if you were told by Hillary Clinton that the election was stolen, somebody that you believe, and 
all across MSNBC, every single commentator of any consequence was saying, yep, the election was stolen. This was fraud. And you thought that the Republic of the United States, this nation, was about to fall into the hands of somebody with whom you strongly, not, not just strongly politically disagreed, but you believed because you were listening to the president or the, the person who was running for president, in this case Hillary Clinton, you believed that the election had been stolen, a crime had been committed, and you needed to do something. What are patriotic Americans to do? I mean, you know, think about this for a moment from the point of view of the people who actually showed up in Washington, D.C. Wouldn't you be pissed off if Hillary Clinton had told you four years ago that the election had been stolen by Donald Trump and a bunch of Republican operatives in five states and that she had the proof? that she had video, that she was filing 60 lawsuits to take it, she was going to take it to the damn Supreme Court, and we've got it. I mean, wouldn't you believe this too? So let's pick up some of your phone calls, what your thoughts are on all of this. Steve in Atlanta. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Yeah, I was listening to it, and um, just it's kind of what you're saying too. It's like, you know, they, they need to say, look, Donald Trump has people that love him and support him and thinks he's, you know, for whatever reason, the cat's meow, and he's a great leader and all that stuff. And so he's got and that he's telling the truth, and that he's telling the truth, and he knows that, and he knew that, and he loved it. And just to tell him those lies and to do that was just, you know, so irresponsible and criminal. Absolutely. Yeah. And just to reiterate what you said before, I mean, these people are trying to be patriots. They're trying to do the right thing. You know, people love to be patriots. You know, mm-hmm. and here is an opportunity. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. It's the founding of our country. It's it's the story that we heard as children in school. I'm with you. Thank you, Steve. Rob in Iron Mountain, Minnesota. Hey, uh, Rob, we have a little less than a minute here. You got a quick thought? Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, any Republican who actually votes not to convict Trump is committing treason. And I think they all should be impeached because the whole thing is, is the Democrats' case is so clear. And the Republicans are only voting for their party. What do you think? I agree, and I am hopeful that after this part of the show is over, and I, by show I mean the whole you know Trump impeachment thing, if the Republican Senate does not vote to convict him and prevent him from running for future office, if that does not happen, then I really believe that we need to be looking at some of these individual senators and members of the House, particularly Cruz and Hawley, who were in on this with Trump, who were promoting the big lie, Trump's big lie. Thanks, Tom. Uh, there need to be consequences. Rob, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Spot on. Even then, after that vicious attack, he continued to spread the big lie. And as everyone here knows, Joe Biden won by more than 7 million votes and 306 to 232 in the Electoral College. But Donald Trump refused to accept his loss even after this attack. And he celebrated the people who violently interfered with the peaceful transfer of power for the first time in American history and did that at his urging. And when he did, in this video, finally tell them to go home in peace, he added this message. We love you. You're very special. Distinguished members of the Senate, this is a day 
that will live in disgrace in American history. That is, unless you ask Donald Trump. Because this is what he tweeted before he went to bed that night at 6.01 p.m. Not consoling the nation, not reassuring everyone that the government was secure, not a single word that entire day condemning the violent insurrection. That's what he says. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and in peace. Remember this day forever. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots. In other words, this was all perfectly natural and foreseeable to Donald Trump. At the beginning of the day, he told you it was coming. At the end of the day, he basically says, I told you this would happen. And then he adds, remember this day forever, but not as a day of disgrace, a day of horror and trauma, as the rest of us remember it, but as a day of celebration, a day of commemoration. And if we let it be, it will be a day of continuation a call to action, and a rallying cry for the next rounds of insurrectionary justice. Because all of this was totally appropriate. Senators, the stakes of this trial could not be more serious. Every American, young and old and in between, is invited to participate with us in this essential journey to find the facts and share the truth. Trials are public events in a democracy, and no trial is more public or significant than an impeachment trial. Because the insurrection brought shocking violence, bloodshed, and pain in the nation's capital, and we will be showing relevant clips of the mob's attack on police officers and other innocent people, we do urge parents and teachers to exercise close review of what young people are watching here, and please watch along with them if you're allowing them to watch the impeachment managers will try to give warnings before the most graphic and disturbing violence that took place is shown. We believe that the manager's comprehensive and meticulous presentation will lead to one powerful and irresistible conclusion. Donald Trump committed a massive crime against our Constitution and our people and the worst violation of the presidential oath of office in the history of the United States of America. For this, he was impeached by the House of Representatives, and he must be convicted by the United States Senate. Before I close, I want to address a constitutional issue still lingering from yesterday's argument. The president obviously is still exploring ways to change the subject and talk about anything other than his responsibility for inciting the attack. We heard a lot yesterday about his claim that this incitement of the insurrection was perfectly appropriate and this little diversion. Jamie Raskin continues to present the case. He's now talking about the, the constitutionality, constitutionality argument yesterday. The trial, the factual premise and the legal underpinnings of that claim are all wrong. They present President Trump as merely like a guy at a rally expressing a political opinion that we disagree with. And now we're trying to put him in jail for it. That has nothing to do with the reality of these charges or his constitutional offense.
The particular political opinions being expressed are not why we impeached the president and have nothing to do with it. It makes no difference what the ideological content of the mob was. And if we license and forgive incitement to violent insurrection by militant Trump followers this week, you can be sure there will be a whole bunch of new ideological flavors coming soon. As we'll demonstrate with overwhelming evidence, portraying Trump as a guy on the street being punished for his ideas is a false description of his actions, his intent, and the role that he played on January 6th when he willfully incited an, insurrection, an insurrectionary mob to riot at the Capitol. Last week, 144 constitutional scholars, including Floyd Abrams, a ferocious defender of free speech, Charles Freed, President Reagan's Solicitor General, Stephen Calabresi, the co-founder of the Federalist Society, released a statement calling the President's First Amendment arguments legally frivolous. Legally frivolous, adding, we all agree that the First Amendment does not prevent the Senate from convicting President Trump and disqualifying him from holding future office. They went on to say, no reasonable scholar or jurist could conclude that President Trump had a First Amendment right to incite a violent attack on the seat of the legislative branch or then to sit back and watch on television as Congress was terrorized and the Capitol sacked. Incitement to violence is, of course, not protected by the First Amendment. That's why most Americans have dismissed Donald Trump's First Amendment uh, rhetoric uh, simply by referring to Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes's handy phrase, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. But even that time-honored principle doesn't begin to capture how off-base the argument is. This case is much worse than someone who falsely shouts fire in a crowded theater. It's more like a case where the town fire chief, who's paid to put out fires, sends a mob not to yell fire in a crowded theater, but to actually set the theater on fire. And who then, when the fire alarms go off and the calls start flooding into the fire department, asking for help, does nothing but sit back, encourage the mob to continue its rampage, and watch the fire spread on TV with glee and delight. So then we say this fire chief should never be allowed to hold this public job again, and you're fired and you're permanently disqualified, and he objects. And he says, we're violating his free speech rights just because he's pro-mob or pro-fire or whatever it might be. Come on. I mean, you, you really don't need to go to law school to figure out what's wrong with that argument. Here's the key. Undoubtedly, a private person can run around on the street, on the street expressing his or her support for the enemies of the United States and advocating the overthrow of the United States government. You've got a right to do that under the First Amendment. But if the president spent all of his days doing that, uttering the exact same words, expressing support for the enemies of the United States and for overthrowing the government, is there anyone here who doubts that this would be a violation of his oath of office to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, and that he or she could be impeached for doing that? Look, if you're president of the United States, you've chosen a side with your oath of office. And if you break it, we can impeach, convict, remove, and disqualify you permanently from holding any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. As Justice Scalia once said, memorably, you can't ride with the cops and root for the robbers.
And if you become inciter-in-chief to the insurrection, you can't expect to be on the payroll as commander-in-chief for the Union. Trump was the President of the United States, and he had sworn to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. He had an affirmative, binding duty, one that set him apart from everyone else in the country, to take care that the laws be faithfully executed including all the laws against assaulting federal officers, destroying federal property, violently threatening members of Congress and the vice president, interfering with federal elections, and dozens of other federal laws that are well known to all of you. When he incited insurrection on January 6th, he broke that oath. He violated that duty. And that's why we're here today. And that's why he has no credible constitutional defense. I'll tell you a final sad story in this kaleidoscope of sadness and terror and violence. One of our Capitol officers who defended us that day was a longtime veteran of our force, a brave and honorable public servant who spent several hours battling the mob as part of one of those blue lines defending the Capitol in our democracy. For several hours straight, as the marauders punched and kicked and mauled and spit upon and hit officers with baseball bats and fire extinguishers, cursed the cops and stormed our capital, he defended us and he lived every minute of his oath of office. And afterwards, overwhelmed by emotion, he broke down in the rotunda. And he cried for 15 minutes. And he shouted out, I got called an N-word 15 times today. And then he recorded, I sat down with one of my buddies, another black guy in tears just started streaming down my face. And I said, what the F, man? Is this America? That's the question before all of you in this trial. Is this America? Can our country and our democracy ever be the same if we don't hold accountable the person responsible for inciting the violent attack against our country, our capital, and our democracy, and all of those who serve us so faithfully and honorably? Is this America? Mr. Ndugus will now provide a roadmap, a roadmap of our evidentiary case. Up next is Joe Neguse. We'll be back with more of our coverage of the uh, Senate trial of uh, former President Donald Trump in just a moment. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. 
We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Distinguished Here is Joe Senators, Council, like several of you, I am a child of immigrants. And as a son of immigrants, I believe firmly in my heart that the United States is the greatest republic that this world has ever known. A hallmark of our republic since the days of George Washington has been the peaceful transfer of power. For centuries, we've accepted it as fact. Unfortunately, sadly, we know now that we can no longer take that for granted. Because as lead manager Raskin explained on January 6th, the peaceful transition of power was violently interrupted when a mob stormed this capital and desecrated this chamber. As you'll see during the course of this trial, that mob was summoned, assembled, and incited by the former President of the United States, Donald Trump. And he did that because he wanted to stop the transfer of power so that he could retain power, even though he had lost the election. And when the violence erupted, when they were here in our building with weapons, he did nothing to stop it. If we are to protect our republic and prevent something like this from ever happening again, he must be convicted. Now, I want to be very clear about what we will show you during the course of this trial. As my fellow managers present our case to you today, tonight, tomorrow, it'll be helpful to think about President Trump's incitement of insurrection in three distinct parts. The, attack, the provocation, the attack, and the harm. Let's start with the provocation. We will show during the course of this trial that this attack was provoked by the president, incited by the president. And as a result, it was predictable and it was foreseeable. And of course, that makes sense. 
And this mob was well orchestrated. Their conduct was intentional. They did it all in plain sight, proudly, openly, and loudly. Because they believed, they truly believed that they were doing this for him. That this was their patriotic duty. They even predicted that he would protect them. And for the most part, they were right. In his unique role as commander-in-chief of our country, and as the one person that the mob was listening to and following orders from, he had the power to stop it. And he didn't. Now some have said that President Trump's remarks, his speech on January 6th was just a speech. Well, let me ask you this. When in our history has a speech led thousands of people to storm our nation's capital with weapons, to scale the walls, break windows, kill a Capitol police officer. This was not just a speech. It didn't just happen. And as you evaluate the facts that we present to you, it will become clear exactly where that mob came from. Because here's the thing, President Trump's words, as you'll see on January 6th, in that speech, just like the mob's actions were carefully chosen, those words had a very specific meaning to that crowd. And how do we know this? Because in the weeks prior to, during, and after the election, he used the same words over and over and over again. You will hear over and over three things. You can see them on the screens. First, what lead manager Raskin referred to as the big lie. That the election was stolen, full of fraud, rigged. You will hear over and over him using that lie to urge his supporters to never concede and stop the steal. And finally, you will hear the call to arms that it was his supporters' patriotic duty to fight like hell. To do what? To stop the steal. To stop the election from being stolen by showing up in this very chamber. To stop you. To stop us. I'd respectfully ask that you remember those three phrases as you consider the evidence today. Election was stolen, stop the steal, and fight like hell, because they did not just appear on January 6th. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start with the big lie. You will see during this trial that the president realized, really, by last spring, that he could lose, he might lose the election. So what did he do? He started planting the seeds to get some of his supporters ready by saying that he could only lose the election if it was stolen. 
I mean, in other words, really what he did is create a no-lose scenario. Either he won the election, or he would have some angry supporters, not all, but some, who believed that if he lost, the election had to be rigged. And they would be angry. Because he was telling Americans that their vote had been stolen. And in America, our vote is our voice. So his false claims about election fraud, that was the drumbeat being used to inspire, instigate, and ignite them. To anger them. Watch this clip. Because we're not going to let this election be taken away from us. That's the only way they're going to win it. We're not going to let it happen. It's the only way we can be, it's the only way we can lose, in my opinion, is massive fraud. We all know what happened after that. He lost. He lost the election. But remember, he had that no-lose scenario that I referenced earlier. He told his base that the election was stolen, as he had forecasted. And then he told them, your election has been stolen, but you cannot concede. You must stop the steal. You can't let another person steal that election from you. All over the country, people are together in holding up signs, stop the steal. The Democrats are trying to steal the White House. You cannot let them. You just can't let them. Now, while he's inciting his supporters, he's also simultaneously doing everything he possibly can to overturn the election. First, he begins with the courts, a legitimate avenue legitimate avenue to challenge the election. But he ignores all of their adverse rulings when all of his claims are thrown out. Then he moves on to trying to pressure state election officials to block the election results for his opponent, even though he'd lost in their states. You'll hear my fellow managers discuss that in detail. Then he tries to threaten state election officials to actually change the votes, to make him the winner, even threatening criminal penalties if they refused. He had the Justice Department investigate his claims. And even they found no support for those claims. So he tried to persuade some members of his party in Congress to block the certification of his vote with attacks in public forums. When that failed, he tried to intimidate the Vice President of the United States of America to refuse to certify the vote and send it back to the states. None of it worked. So, what does he do? With his back against the wall, when all else has failed, he turns back to his supporters who He'd already spent months telling them that the election was stolen. And he amplified it further. He turned it up a notch. He told them that they had to be ready not just to stop the steal, 
but to fight like hell. We're in a fight for the survival of our nation, and we are going to keep on fighting. We will never surrender. We will only win. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to fight harder than ever before. We have to go all the way. And we're going to fight like hell, I'll tell you right now. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never back down. We will never, ever surrender. You will see that in the months as the president made these statements, people listened. Armed supporters surrounded election officials' homes. The Secretary of State for Georgia got death threats. Officials warned the president that his rhetoric was dangerous and it was going to result in deadly violence. And that's what makes this so different because when he saw firsthand the violence that his conduct was creating, he didn't stop it. He didn't condemn the violence. He incited it further. And he got more specific. He didn't just tell them to fight like hell. He told them how where and when. He made sure they had advance notice, 18 days advance notice. He sent his save the date for January 6th. He told them to march to the Capitol and fight like hell. On January 6th, as lead manager Raskin said, the exact same day that we were certifying the election results. What time was that rally scheduled for? The exact same time that this chamber was certifying the election results in joint session. When did he conclude his speech? Literally moments before Speaker Pelosi had gaveled us into session. Many of us were in the House during that joint session of Congress. I was sitting two rows behind Leader Schumer and Leader McConnell. I remember it vividly. And as we were standing there, fulfilling our solemn oath to the Constitution, the President was finishing his speech just a couple of miles away. How did he conclude that infamous speech? With a final call to action. He told them to march down Pennsylvania Avenue, to come here, that it was their patriotic duty because the election had been stolen. And when they heard his speech, they understood his words and what they meant because they had heard it before. Let's take just a minute and really look at his words on January 6th as he spoke at the Save America rally. Now, remember, I told you, you'd hear three phrases. The election was stolen, stop the steal, and fight like hell. Let's start with that first phrase. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen. There's never been anything like this. It's a pure theft in American history. Everybody knows it. Make no mistake, this election was stolen from you, from me, and from the country. Now, of course, each of you heard those words before. So had the crowd. The president had spent months telling his supporters that the election had been stolen, and, stolen, and he used this speech to incite them further, to inflame them, to stop the steal. 
to stop the certification of the election results. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. And to use a favorite term that all of you people really came up with, we will stop the steal. We must stop the steal. Finally, the president used this speech as a call to arms. It was not rhetorical. Some of his supporters had been primed for this over many months. As you'll learn, days before this speech, lead manager Raskin noted, there were vast reports across all major media outlets that thousands of people would be armed, that they'd be violent. You'll learn that Capitol Police and the FBI reported in the days leading up to the attack that thousands in the crowd would be targeting the Capitol specifically, that they had arrested people with guns the night before the attack on weapons charges. And this is what our Commander-in-Chief said to the crowd in the face of those warnings right before they came here. We will not let them silence your voices. We're not going to let it happen. Not going to let it happen. Thank you. And you have to get your people to fight because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. You have to get your people to fight. He told listening them. To Tom Hartman. Visit Tom Hartman. Senators, this clearly was not just one speech. Colorado's Congressman just, Joe Neguse is presenting the case against Donald Trump before the United States Senate. We'll be back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Next, Representative Stacey Plaskett of the Virgin Islands will show in quite chilling detail, I should say, how President Trump was well aware of the threat of violence on January 6th and how he welcomed and amplified his supporters' plans for insurrection against the union. I should say as lead manager, this is a moment of special pride for me because Representative Plaskett is not only the first delegate ever to be on a team of impeachment managers in American history, but she was also my law student at American University's Washington College of Law. And I hope I'm not violating any federal educational records laws when I say she was an A student then and she's an A plus student now. Stacy Plaskett. This is Representative Stacy Plaskett, who uh, is from the U.S. Virgin Islands, a delegate rather than an I believe, rather than an actual congressperson. I'm guessing this works the same way it does with Eleanor Harms Norton. But I'm going to have to look up, you know, learn a little bit more about that and and find out if she can actually vote or if, like Eleanor Eleanor Holmes Norton, she is limited to simply, you know, making speeches and, and, uh, you know, trying to encourage people to behave well. But Delegate Stacey Plaskett, P-L-A-S-K-E-T-T, of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mr. President, distinguished senators, I'm Stacy Plaskett, and I represent the people of the Virgin Islands of the United States. Over this past weekend, my 11-year-old daughter, I overheard her telling one of my sons, mommy doesn't seem really nervous about the impeachment trial. To which that son, sounding like an older brother said, Talia, you'll learn that most of the time, mommy really seems to have it under control. Now we know as parents, that's not always the case. But I've learned throughout my life that preparation and truth can carry you far, can allow you to speak truth to power. I've learned that as a young black girl growing up in the projects in Brooklyn, housing community on St. Croix, sent to the most unlikeliest of settings, and now as an adult woman representing an island territory speaking to the U.S. Senate. And because of truth, I am confident today speaking before you because truth and facts are overwhelming that our president, the president of the United States, incited a mob to storm the Capitol to attempt to stop the certification of a presidential election. My fellow managers have shown and will continue to show clear evidence that President Trump incited a violent mob to storm our Capitol when he ran out of nonviolent means to stop the election. Once assembled, that mob, at the president's direction, erupted into the bloodiest attack on this capital since 1814. Some of you have said there is no way the president could have known how violent the mob would be. 
that is false. Because the violence, it was foreseeable. I want to show you why this violence was foreseeable and why Donald Trump was different than any other politician just telling their fighters, their supporters, to fight for something. The violence that occurred on January 6th, like the attack itself, did not just appear. You'll see that Donald Trump knew the people he was inciting, he saw the violence that they were capable of, and he had a pattern and practice of praising and encouraging that violence, never, ever condemning it. And you'll see that this violent attack was not planned in secret. The insurgents believed that they were doing the duty of their president. They were following his orders. And so we'll be back with more of Representative Stacey Platzka of the Virgin Islands laying out the case against Donald Trump. Exact blueprints of how the attack would be made. Law enforcement saw these postings and reported that these insurgents would violently attack the Capitol itself. This was not just a a comment by an official to fight for a cause. This was months of cultivating a base of people who were violent, praising that violence and then leading that violence, that rage straight at our door. The point is this, by the time he called the cavalry of his thousands of supporters on January 6th and an event he had invited them to, he had every reason to know that they were armed, that they were violent, and that they would actually fight. He knew who he was calling and the violence they were capable of. And he still gave that marching orders to go to the Capitol and quote, fight like hell and stop the steal. Make no mistake, the violence was not just foreseeable to President Trump, the violence was what he deliberately encouraged. As early as September, Trump set the precedent that when asked to denounce violence, he would do the opposite and encourage it. President Trump was asked specifically if he was willing to condemn white supremacy and militia groups, if he was willing to tell them to stand down and stop the violence. Let's watch. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Sure, are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, go ahead, say... Let's hear now the president's response. Do it, sir. Say it. Do it. Say it. You want to call him... What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and white like supremacists and white supremacists. Stand back and stand by. When asked to condemn the Proud Boys and white supremacists, what did our president say? He said, stand back and stand by. His message was heard loud and clear. The group adopted that phrase, stand back 
and stand by as their official slogan. They created merchandise with their new slogan, which they wore proudly across their backs at Trump's rallies, and they followed the president's orders. You'll see more about this later in the trial, but you'll see in these photos, to the left, Dominic Pizzola, and to the right, William Pepe, two of the leaders of the group heading to the Capitol on January 6th. They were later charged with working together to obstruct law enforcement. As we go through this evidence, I want you to keep in mind these words by President Trump when asked to condemn violence. Stand back and stand by and see example after example of the kinds of people like the Proud Boys who he had standing by on January 6th. By October, as my colleagues, Mr. Castro and Mr. Swalwell showed you, Donald Trump was escalating his big lie that the only way he could lose the election was if it was rigged. So as election day neared, his supporters were frustrated and they were angry. They were prepared to ensure his victory by any means necessary. One of these violent acts was on October 30th, sometime after 12.30 p.m., a caravan of more than 50 trucks covered in pro-Trump campaign gear confronted and surrounded cars carrying Biden-Harris campaign workers and a Biden-Harris campaign bus as they were traveling down Interstate 35 from San Antonio to Austin. According to witnesses, this caravan repeatedly tried to force the bus you saw and you see in that video to slow down in the middle of the highway and then to run it off the road. What that video you just saw does not show is that the bus that they tried to run off the road was filled with young campaign staff, volunteers, supporters, surrogates, people. As the Trump supporters closed in on the bus, a large back black pickup truck adorned with Trump flags suddenly and intentionally swerved and crashed into a car driven by a Biden-Harris volunteer. News of the event went viral on social media. The President of the United States, in a campaign, saw his own supporters trying to run a bus carrying his opponent's campaign workers off the highway. To physically intimidate people in this country campaigning. Here was his response the next day. President of the United States tweeted a video of his supporters trying to drive a bus off of the road. You'll recall in that first video that I showed you, there was no sound. Well, the one that he tweeted had a fight theme song placed to it that the president, the president put that music to that video. And he added at the top, I love Texas. By the next evening, that tweet that he did had been viewed 
million times. And it wasn't just a tweet. On November 1st, at a Michigan rally with a sea of supporters, the president talked about that incident again. Here it is. Do you see the way our people, they, you know, they were protecting his bus yesterday because they're nice. So his bus, they had hundreds of cars, Trump, Trump, Trump and the American flag. That's it. You see Trump and American flag. The president made a public joke of violence against campaigners in an American election. He made light of it. This was not a joke. In fact, it was so violent, it put so many people in harm's way that the FBI investigated the incident and the criminal responsibility of those who attacked these campaign workers. Now, our president, Donald Trump, could have said, okay, I didn't realize how bad that was. This was very violent. Please stop. But he didn't. He saw the investigation and made a statement in defense of his supporters' attack on the bus, writing, quote, in my opinion, these patriots did nothing wrong. Engaging in violence for him made them patriots to Donald Trump. For anyone who says Donald Trump didn't know the violence he was inciting, I ask you to consider his supporters tried to drive a bus off the highway in the middle of the day to intimidate his opponent's campaign workers. And his response was to tweet the video of the incident that had fight music. Joke about it. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Keep an eye on the impeachment hearings. We can discuss them tomorrow. We'll continue playing them as the case may be. So in the meantime, you might want to call your United States senators and tell them vote to impeach, especially if they're Republicans. I have a feeling this is going to have an impact. The number for the U.S. Senate, 202-224-3121. Write it down. Put it on your refrigerator. Call regularly, 202-224-3121, to register your vote with your senators. Tag, your it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.